Today is Yom Atzmaut, 75 years. We're continuing what we started before Pesach, which was Pirkei Halel. Now, it may have been a wiser track, or you might have thought it would be a wiser track to take to start Halel before Pesach and end it today, do the final parak. But I'd like to end it around Yom Yerushalayim. Uh, and uh, therefore, this week we're going to do the third parak of Halel. Next week, we're going to do something special on Maharata Shabbat. And by the time we get through Mishalayim, or maximum by Shavuot, we will complete our study of Halel. We've already studied the first two prakim of Halel, the first one of which, I'll remind you because it plays a role here, is describing God as both transcendent and at the same time immanent in the world, uh, which, if you think about it, would then make this parak the most natural second parak to read. Uh, as we'll see, it the first part of it really is a base, major theological statement and a covenantal faith statement. So why is Kufya Dalad, but Saint Israel, which was the one we did by before Pesach, why is that in the middle, as as it were? Uh, first of all, within the context of Halal Mitzrayim, it's fairly clear because that's the one parak, the one mentioned Halal at all about Yitziat Mitzrayim, and that's fine. But then again, that may be a question of the uh, the horse and the cart, or the chicken and the egg, really. Do we say these prakim as Halal Mitzrayim because of Saint Yisrael Mitzrayim, or was it put in there for that purpose? But regardless, Betzayt Yisrael Mitzrayim serves another function, which is critical, as we'll see in our parak, because the first parak is purely theological. There's nothing national about it. And Nidivei Amo, fine, but that refers to people who are downtrodden, and Hashem brings them up. Um, but but there's nothing nationalistic about it. The second parak, Betzayt Yisrael Mitzrayim, is kol nationalistic. It's all about... The special relationship HaKadosh Baruch Hu has with Am Yisrael, and as a matter of fact, the world kind of losing its limits and its balance as a result of HaKadosh Baruch Hu coming down to redeem Am Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. So it's in an exclusive position, which is then going to drive this parak. Now, before looking at our parak, I just want to give you a couple samples of introductory pieces, or as introduction, a couple of samples of other passages in Tanakh some of which are very familiar to us, which evoke a similar theme to that which is the first half of our parak, which is Tilim Kuflamid Hay, uh, which we say every Shabbat morning, every Yom Tov morning, some people said it this morning, uh, which prefaces Halal Hagadol, and the end of it is like the last third is about the idols. And we'll, we don't need to go through these psukim because uh, we're going to go through almost similar psukim in our study of the parak, but as you see, pasuk tetvav, tetzayin, yodzayin, uh, all describe the idols in their inanimate nature, meaning their inability to do anything, even though they're dressed fancy, and yodchet then becomes the pivot. So if psukim describing the nothingness, the, tr- the bare triviality of the idols, essentially a curse, that anybody who trusts them will end up like them, which is unable to see, unable to hear, etc. And then three psukim matching the first three psukim about those who actually trust in Hashem, Beit Yisrael, Beit Halevi, and then Baruch Hashem Etzion, Shachin Yisraelim Haluyah. But in Yotet you have Beit Yisrael, Beit Aron, Beit Halevi, and Yirei Hashem. We're going to see three of those groups in our own parak also. Uh, in uh, Yechezkel, so this is something that's not unique to Tilim. In Yechezkel, Parak Yudbet. 
Right now, this, by the way, is not talking about idols. This is talking about the the um, resistant, stubborn Am Yisrael who won't listen to the messages. They have eyes and they don't see. They have ears and they won't hear. Now, in Yirmiyahu, hey, you have Agidus of Beit Yaakov Shmuel BeYehuda LeMor Shiluna Zot Amstachave and Leim. Yirmiyahu's message is falling on deaf ears because the people are foolish and won't listen. So the mentions in Yechezkel and Yirmiyahu are similar, and they are describing people the way that in more liturgical literature we describe idols, as having eyes painted on them and mouths cut out for them and ears put on their face, but they don't hear anything, they don't see anything, and they don't say anything. And now we have that same image used to describe uh, people who are stubborn and refuse to listen. It does not appear before the era of, era of the Churban. Yirmiyahu and Yechezkel are the era of the Churban. So that we, we think that the, that the typology that we find in Tehillim is earlier than that. Um, two other things before we get to our parak, and that is that our parak is well known by all of us as being a parak that is split in that uh, we just spent uh, Pesach together and on Pesach, after the first day or the first two days, we say what's commonly called Chatzi Halel, although more properly it's called Halel B'dilug, Halel that's skipped. Um, and so here's where that comes from, the Dilug part comes. And the reason I mentioned that today and didn't mention it in the first two Shurim is this parak is one that's actually sliced in half. And when we do Halel B'dilug, we skip the first half of it, the first section. So the question is, why is there skipping at all? Why does the skipping impact on our parak and not on the earlier prakim? And on the last parak, for instance, and also why do we break where we break and skip that particular section? So let's take a look at it. Um, when do we say halal? So the Gemara in Arachin has all sugya about when we say halal, daf yod, uh, and we say halal um, um, 18 days a year. What are the 18 days a year we say halal? Chutzar, it's 21. Eight days of Sukkot, right. eight days of Hanukkah, that's already 16. One day of Pesach and one day of Shavuot, that's it. That's when we say Halel. All right. And the Gemara then goes in detail, why do we say Halel on all these days? The first thing that irks the Gemara is why do we say Halel on every day of Sukkot and not on every day of Pesach? And the answer is Chaluk B'Korban Otav. Every day of Sukkot is a different Korban. Remember, Vayomus Tashiu, Vayomus and every day of Pesach is the same korban. Remember, the most popular word at any shul during Pesach is ka'ela. Same, same reading because it's the same korban. And that's why in your machzorim, it just says the rest of the days of Pesach start here. And Sukkot every day is a different reading. Um, the Gemara then goes on to explain why we don't say halal on Shabbat. Why we don't say halal on Rosh Hashanah Kippur. And then why don't we say halal on Rosh Chodesh. The answer is that Rosh Chodesh is not Asur B'Melacha. So here's the story. Rav Ikla LeBavel. Now it's unclear if this is when Rav first returned to Bavel after studying with Rebbe, which would put it in around the year 218 or so, or at a particular time. Chazinu Tekakaru Halila Bereshiarcha. He walked in in Rosh Chodesh and he saw them saying Halil. Savar Laf Sukinu. He wanted to stop them. You're not supposed to say Halil in Rosh Chodesh. What are you doing? Kevon the Chaza, the Kamedalge Deluge, when he saw that they were skipping parts, I could see from here that they have some minhag, they're doing it as a minhag, 
They're not really trying to read proper halal. The fact that they skip tells us that. And notice that the Gemara doesn't show it, doesn't mention where they skip. Now, by the way, based on the reading of the Gemara, it sounds like Rav walked in when they were near the beginning of halal, but they'd already started. Because he was about to stop them, and then he saw them skipping, which means the skipping came right after he walked in, maybe. Or maybe he was going to wait and, and see what happened before he stopped them. But look at the Rambam. The Rambam here in Hechot Chanukah, the Rambam presents the laws of halal in Hechot Chanukah per Gimel. And he says, Avab Rashi Chorashim Kriyata Halal Minhag, Ve'inam Mitzvah. Right? Minhag Zeb Betzibur. This is the Rambam's approach. Did you only say Halal Rosh Chodesh if you're in a minion? You do not say it if you're dominating alone. So therefore, when we're doing it bit on Rosh Chodesh, we skip some. This is the Rambam's famous shita. So the Rambam says, you, and it's not the Rambam's not, not the only one, says you do not make a bracha on halal on Rosh Chodesh because it's a minhag. Uh, parenthetically, uh, I've davened before with the Syrians on Rosh Chodesh. And they, as soon as they finish Shmon Esrei, they just say Hallelujah. They start from that, and when they finish the last pasuk, then they go to the Kaddish. There's no bracha before, no bracha afterwards. If you're on your own, you don't say Hallel at all without a bracha, skipping nothing. If you started it, then you continue reading it and make sure to skip. By the way, after the first day of Pesach, or include starts. After the first two days, same rule. And now the Rambam says, how, what kind of skipping do we do? This should look familiar. We start from the beginning of Halal so we get to the end of B'tzayt Yisrael. So we skip, and then we start Hashem Zecharani Barech. By the way, that's exactly what we do so far. Ad Hallelujah. Now, Hallelujah is which is a little strange because Ma'ashiv Lashem is the very next Pasuk, so there doesn't seem to be a, a skip there. Now, Hallelujah here is at the end of Ma'ashiv. I'm sorry, Ma'ashiv, skip Ahavti, my apologies, skip Ahavti, I skip. You skip Ahavti and say Ma'ashiv. So far it's the same. However, you get to the end of Ma'ashiv. Which means, according to the Rambam, what do you skip? The famous smallest parak in Tanakh. And the, the call and response. Till the end you read. That's the common minhag. Some other people skip other ways. By the way, we skip other ways in that we don't skip as much. We pick up from from Ma'ashiv, we go straight through from there to the end. Okay. Notice the Rambam's emphasis seems to be not so much on what you skip, but that you skip. You skip to make sure that, it, that it's clear that it's a minhag, and you're not doing it as a reading of, of Halal. But that's the the impact on our parak is that in the Rambam's presentation and the way we do it, the first half of it is skip. So we want to do five things in this shiur over the course of the next 18 minutes. This is going to be a matzah shiur. All right? No chametz. Um, first of all, we got to go through and make sure we know what the words mean, like any other parak of tealing. Second of all, we got to figure out what the structure is, although it will be fairly walk itself through, be fairly obvious. Third of all, we got to figure out what the message of the parak is. 
Fourth of all, as always is the case when you have a liturgical parak, what is this? Why is this used in this liturgical setting, which is Hallel? And fifth, we have a, a relatively unique challenge, which is why is this split up and split up where it is? So let's get started. We look at the parak, and here's the parak for us. And I've already done the layout of the parak because cut to the chase. And we don't want any comments. So we start at Lolanu Hashem Lolanu. Now let's walk it through and make sure we understand what it means. What does Lolanu mean? It means not for us. And now Lolanu Adonai Lolanu is a poetic form which we call anaphora, which is repeating the opening line, which is to emphasize we're not asking this for us. Now, we don't yet know what it is we're asking that we're not asking for us. We're making a request. The request is not on our behalf. We don't know what the request is yet. We're going to find out. Now, how would you translate the word key here? That's why I didn't want to put translations in, because a lot of these words, we got to look carefully, uh, carefully before translating. How would you translate the word key here? Rather. Rather, exactly. Not for us, rather, l'shimcha. And now what's the request? Tain kavod. So that's what we want. Tain kavod, not for us, but tain, but for your name. Now, um, the, the end of this pasuk is, al chastecha al amitecha. So tain kavod, al chastecha al amitecha. First of all, let's translate, and let's figure out what, what he's really asking. What is al chastecha ve al amitacha? Al amitacha mean? So chastecha means your kindness, your loyalty. Over translate chesed. Amitacha means amitacha is your your truth, right? It's a strange phrase, and therefore most will understand it as being what we call a hendiadis, which means two words that are one. This is often found in poetry in Tanakh, where you have two nouns, where actually the first of the nouns, sorry, the second of the nouns, operates as an adjective. Al-chastachal amitacha would be more prosaically read as al-amitat-chastacha, the truth of your kindness. Al-chastachal amitacha, therefore, should be understood that way. So now, what is it that we're asking God to do? Ten kavod, meaning demonstrate your glory about the truth of your kindness. We still don't know what the petitioner is asking for, but we know he's trying to make sure I'm not asking this on our our behalf, I'm asking this on your behalf. Now, where do we know a similar kind of request in the Torah, where somebody comes before Hashem and says, please don't do this for us, do this for your great name? Moshe. Yeah. After, after, uh, after the Chet Egel. Exactly it. After the Chet Egel. Right? Why should the nation say that right? do it for your name, for the truth of your breed, and for, and for, and not for, not for us. We're asking for us. Okay. So the petitioner is following the model of Moshe. It's a good model to follow. Now, what is the argument? And you'll see echoes of Moshe again. Meaning, why should the nation say, where is their God now? Now meaning now. 
which means right now, let's stop and think, what kind of situation are we in when somebody's saying this? What would cause somebody to say this? It seems that we are in, go ahead, Robert, what do you think? Things aren't looking good. Things aren't looking good, and we look unprotected. And my God's not with us. God's not taking care of us. Why should the nation say, where's their God now? Now, the next line is a toss-up between two very opposite meanings. It depends how you punctuate it. We know what the words mean. Our God is in heaven. Everything he wants to do, he does. Does whatever he wants. Who's saying that? Meaning, what part of the presentation is that? Possibility one, we are declaring the reality. Meaning the nations are saying, where's their God? The reality is God does whatever he wants. We know where God is. God is in Shemayim and God does whatever he wants. We're just asking you to demonstrate it so the Goyim know that. There's another possibility that this is all part of what the Goyim are saying. The Goyim are saying, where is their God? Our God does whatever he wants. Their God's nowhere. Same result, Chilul Hashem. And our being downtrodden, our being uh, oppressed, our being on the wrong side of a war, meaning the losing side, is a Chilul Hashem. Because the nature is saying, where is their God? So we're asking for your name's sake to intervene, to step in. Now, if you remember, when he did the first shir on Hallel, I introduced the, the Gemara Sachim that talks about who wrote Hallel. And um, all of the opinions that put it in the historic setting of, you know, of Am Yisrael at Yamsuf, Yoshua at Malchei Kanan, Chizkiyu at Sancheriv, etc., all of them had this line as central. That when they were facing the threat, they said, Lo lanu Hashem, lo lanu. And then Hashem says, Lamani, Lamani, Yaseh, And then Hashem intervenes and saves them, and then they say, Hala. So that this line, the Lanu, is, is central in the request part, in the trouble and the threat part, that the Halel is there to thank for when we're saved from. Okay. Now, we reflect. This is clearly our talking. Atzabehem, Kesavazav. Now, atzabim literally means something that's mi'utzav, something that's formed. So atzabim means the things that they've formed. And there's a famous drush on this, that shehem ma'atzivim et ovdeim, that atzu from the word sad, which is not a related word, they make their worshippers sad because they don't respond to anything. They don't help. Kesav is They made their stuff out of silver and gold. Ma'asei adam, which if you think about how ridiculous it is that man creates something with his own hands, and then worships it and asks it to save him. This is the famous Midrash. We all know this Midrash of Avram and the baseball bat, but Avram and the baseball bat starts with Terach leaving Avram and start in charge of the store, a few versions of that, and an older person coming in, 50, 60 years old, coming in to buy an idol, and buying it from Avram, and Avram asking the guy, how old are you? And the guy says, I'm 50. And he says... Whoa, a guy 50 years old is coming to worship a thing that I made today. And the guy would slink out embarrassed, realizing that's how many drops tells him. question is whether pagans actually do worship the idol or whether they see the idol as a manifestation of something else. But for right now, we'll look at it this way. So we now describe 
these idols with seven essential deficiencies. And notice how the psukim work, because, again, in poetry, we've discussed this, poetry always works in two sticks, and the two sticks are even in, uh, are symmetrical in their meter. But now the poet wants to introduce a seventh component of a feature that they have but they can't use. And so he goes to a tri-stick. Right? So what are these things? Tell them the images. Here's an idol. They've painted a mouth on it. They've cut a mouth out. They can't speak. Now, why would he want it to speak? Because our entire relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu is built on by the bear Adonai Amoshalimor. It's Anochi Adonai God speaking to us and creating a covenant with us and uh, and giving us mitzvot. Second of all, a nayim velo yiru. They have eyes painted on. They don't see anything. Why is that critical? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu watches us all the time. Tamid It's the land that Hashem has always got his eyes on. They have ears painted on, they don't hear us. Why is that critical? Because we pray to Hashem, and Hashem listens. They have noses painted on, they don't smell anything. Where does smelling come from? So the first time we ever hear about HaKadosh Baruch Hu smelling, is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu smells the Korban of, of Noah. And every korban is presented as a reach nichoach, a beautiful, sweet smell to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Whatever that may mean in metaphysical and theological terms, but that's the description. That's the anthropomorphic and anthropopathic description. Yedehem velo yimishun. They have hands that can't feel anything. Why is that critical? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, biadav yastaretz. He created the world with his hands. Raglehem velo yalechu. Now this one is a little more difficult. They have legs, but they don't walk. It goes back to, if you will, the very first anthropomorphic image of God, which is Hashem walking in the gun. And that's when Adam and Chava hide, etc. But you also have uh, in Zechariah, right, Raglav, Omdod, his legs are standing one on Harzetim, right? And all these imagery, obviously, we're not taking it literally. And now, lo yehegu bigronam. I want to spend a minute on that word. Lo yehegu. The word higayon, which in modern Hebrew means logic, and in rabbinic Hebrew means something more akin to reasoning, is close to logic. In Tanakh, it actually means speech. You can see it from here. Lo yehegu bigronam. They don't do higayon with their throats. That, by the way, impacts on another pasuk that we know. I don't have to bring it up. So what is it you're saying should be accepted? Imrefi, the words of my mouth, and hegyon, again, our words, libi, which tells us that lave is not always a heart. And lave sometimes, and there's several other examples of this in Tanakh, actually means throat. And so hegyon libi, the words of my throat, or the words of my of my vocal box, if you will. All right? Notice, by the way, that these seven start and end with peh. They start and end with the idols not being able to speak, right? They have mouths painted on, they have throats in some of the images, they don't speak, nothing comes out. Because that, again, is where our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu starts. It's not with us talking to him and him listening, it's him talking to us and us listening. 
Now think back to the Psukim in Yirmiyahu and Yechezkel, and you can see how powerful they are to say, we are a nation has ears painted on, we don't listen. Because that's where the fundamental relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is us listening to him. And so then, our curse is, Anybody who trusts them should be like them. Should be inanimate, should, whatever they have, it shouldn't work. And now, notice what happens. We now turn to our own group. We're talking about people who aren't there. These nations. And now we turn to our own group, and we address the group, and we picture this in the Mikdash, and we picture the Levim singing this, addressing three groups that are that are assembled, and we'll see them again in a few weeks. Yisrael, betach Adonai. By the way, betach is a command. Yisrael, you guys, trust God. Ezram imaginam hu. And now look at the way it's laid out, because I believe it's antiphonal. They say Yisrael, betach Bashem, and then the response is Ezram imaginam hu. They are the saviors. They are the ones who protect us. Meaning, not they are. Hashem is Ezra Maginam Hu. You saw Batah Badunai, and then the answer is Ezra Maginam Hu. He is the one who saves and protects Israel. Beta Haron, they turn to the Kohanim. You guys trust Hashem. And their answer is Ezra Maginam Hu. He's the one who saves and protects us. And then Yirei Big debate about who Yirei Hashem is. Is it Gerim? Is it Gerei Tzedek? Is it Ger Toshav? Is it non Jews who've come because they believe in Hashem? Ger Toshav kind of thing. Unclear. But it's another group assembled. They'll show up again later in Hallel. And Ezra Maginam Hu. Now notice that this piece is left out when we when we have the Minag of skipping Hallel, of Hallel And it seems just to suggest that the reason is because the focus here is really somewhat, I wouldn't say necessarily antagonistic, but it is um, disputative. And when we want to say Hallel as our own, shall we say, offering of thanksgiving, as it were, we want to focus on our own commitment to Hashem, which we're going to see in a moment, and it again comes out back in Mashiv. We don't want to turn to the negative background that leads to that praise. You think if you had a choice, this would probably be one of the pieces that you'd leave out. And so as long as we leave something out, we're not making it like full Hallel. The Rav maintained that full hollow includes the component of bakasha. And this and ahavti involves some sort of bakasha. And so those are left out to make it not a full hollow in that way. And now what do we say? Adonai zaharanu yivareh. Now, Ramoshi ibn Jikatila maintained that zaharanu means our males. But everybody else disagrees. And what they mean, and they, the way they read it is remember us and bless. The truth is, from the context of the of the, the sorry the 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 syntax of the sentence actually works more like him, bless our males, which would then support the idea that this is something that was said on the regalim in the mikdash, when of course as all the other regal calls the forcha. In any case, what's the answer? And I I lined it up this way because I believe this whole thing is antiphonal. It may be two groups of levim or maybe call and response. Yivarech beit Yisrael, and now Yivarech beit Aharon. Now those are three groups. So what are we going to do for a fourth leg? Now that's not just filler. That's actually central to what's going to happen, as you will see, that the entire thrust of this paragraph is about one thing, which is about fertility. About next year you should come to the Mekdash with a bigger family. So have more kids. Blessing the kids. You'll see. 
Hakfanim Hagdolim means the Gdolim have come to the Mikdash and they brought the Ketanim with them. Picture this when you're in Shul with your kids or grandchildren. Hakfanim Hagdolim, what a beautiful image. And now, watch what they say. Yosef Adonai Aleichem. God should increase you. Aleichem Aleichem. Now, just picture how beautiful this is. The Levim turning to the people who have come to Yerushalayim in the Mikdash. Yosef Adonai Aleichem. And another group of Levim. Or them responding to the Levim. Aleichem Aleichem. God should add to you. He should add to your kids. You should have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You should become numerous. A huge clan. And now, Bruchim Atem Ladonai, and now come back, Oseshemayim Va'aretz, which evokes the first half of this barrack. He's the one who created heaven and earth. And the result of that is this very popular pasuk, Hashemayim, Shemayim Ladonai, as we've talked about, Elohim of Hashemayim in the first half, that all belongs to God. The Ha'aretz, Natan Livnei Adam. But he gave this to us. And he blessed us, and he made us fertile here. And we're blessing each other that we should be more fertile, and that we should grow. This is all our family. Now, at the end of this, there's an interesting polemic against the cult of the dead. Strange. But this entire piece is about life. It's about increasing life. It's about blessing, God's blessing, which is life and fertility. I mean that in the in the sense of human fertility, not just fertility among your crops and your animals, which is also part of it, but not here. The Yerushalmi in Sukkah, in the third parish, in discussing the Lulav Hayavesh, why we don't use the Lulav Hayavesh, it's based on this pasuk. Lo hametim, hallelujah. The dead won't praise you. You don't use a dead stick to praise Hashem. Every time we get to this pasuk in Hala on Sukkot, I lift my Lulav up, and nobody knows what I'm doing. I lift my Lulav up high. Lo hametim, hallelujah, and I keep it up, so let's talk about this. The dead won't praise you, which is two things in one. It's another Hendayatis in a sense, but not, not linguistically. means the dead can't praise you, which is a plea, keep us alive, so we can continue praising you. But it's also a statement of part of the request, which is give us more kids. And again, why? So that they can praise you. Because we all starts out with Lolanu, Hashem Lolanu, Give us more kids, give our family a, a bigger family so that we can have a bigger group praising you. Because Lola Metimi, hallelujah. Keep us alive and increase our, our boundaries so that we can have more praising you. Below your day, Duma. Duma evidently was a place like Shoal, the underworld, maybe in Egyptian mythology. It's maybe, by the way, a polemic against. The Egyptian cult of the dead here. And now, va'anachnu nevarachya. So how would you translate the word va'anachnu here? Or the vav of va'anachnu? But. Exactly. This is va'vanigud. And this is how I teach va'vanigud. Because everybody knows these psukim. So the dead don't praise you, but we will. Va'anachnu nevarachya. And then comes the trick. You just said the dead won't praise you. And then you have the audacity to say, well, guess what, guys? You're human. That means you're going to die. How can you say we're going to praise you forever? The answer is to our kids. We will be here forever praising you. Me, my kids, my grandchildren, 20 generations down the pipe, we will be here. So, which is, if you will, an inherent contradiction, actually solves itself. Because the Anachnu is not me, the Anachnu is corporate us. 
A corporate house will be here forever. A corporate Am Yisrael will be here forever. Sibur lo mitim, it's halacha. Corbin Sibur, if it's a chatat Sibur, doesn't get killed because a Sibur lo mitim. It's offered because even if everybody who who was there when they were mafrish that Corbin died, the Sibur continues and they bring the Corbin. So Vanachma Achyami Ataviyad Lam Haluyah actually takes us this whole piece, takes us all the way back to the beginning of Lolanu Hashem Lolanu. So we've talked about the words, we've gone through the words. We've seen the structure, it's fairly, like I said, walks itself through. I laid it out here. Um, the message of this parak seems to be, again, about asking God to increase our, our boundary, increase our, our, our families, bless us with more and more children, et cetera. It seems to be what it's about. And giving that blessing, the Levim, giving that blessing on the people who come to the Mikdash. Uh, to, to see, to be seen, see and be seen by Hashem. Um, its role in Hallel actually seems to be quite clear because after the first parak, where we made a basic theological statement about God's transcendence and immanence, this parak follows naturally, which is unlike the nations where they have their images, but their images mean nothing and they have stuff painted on that doesn't work. We have God who has none of those things. He's transcendent. He doesn't have a mouth painted on. He doesn't have hands. And yet he's able to do all these things. He doesn't have a mouth, and yet he speaks. doesn't have ears, and yet he hears. The exact opposite of the idols. Again, why is Kufi Dalit in the middle? Because Kufi Dalit establishes our unique relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that gives us the position to make these statements. And then the fifth question, which is, why is this the part that's skipped, and why do we skip where we do? You'll notice where we make the break. We make the break right after the polemic against idolatry. Because that's not part of what this minhag of halal is. When you want to say halal because we're motivated to say some songs of thanks to Hashem, we want to reduce the polemic component to it. And that's what this is. However, it's not fully lost because every one of these themes shows up in the second half. And the the triumvirate group of Israel, Beit Aaron, and Yerah Hashem come back right at the beginning, and but not as a um, as a charge that they should trust in Hashem, which is a response to the polemic, but rather as a blessing that Hashem should bless each one of those three groups. And Mirz Hashem, we will be blessed that in year seven in celebration number seventy six, we'll have even a bigger and more populous. Uh, country and one that operates without rancor and without uh, and without difficulty and without threats from the outside. And Mir Hashem, we will all be able to see our way through 175 and 275 and 1,075 uh, Yemats mode.